This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Now we're in for an absolute treat. I've got Ariel Adams, master watch handler from a blog to watch. He is the man that founded a blog to watch. He is the coolest man in watches on this wonderful sphere of um, kind of the deliciousness of watches. And I have got him in the hive. We are kind of in a lockdown at the moment um, in the um, in the hive. We're, it's late at night and Ariel and I are opposite each other. It feels a little bit like a date movie. Um, but uh, Ariel, I cannot wait to hear what we're going to talk about. But also we're in for something very special today as well, because there's kind of a half and half scenario. We're doing a dual show. The first half, you're interviewing me. And then the second half, I'm interviewing you. So your show is about oddball watches. Mine is superlative. And this is going to be a special format that I don't think either of us have done before. No way. So I will be answering your questions for the first half. And I, I, I kind of like that. It's a good change for me. Well, you know, I'm, I'm slightly scared about the second half now. I'm, I'm like, I know what I'm doing in the first part, half. But you look, you are someone that I said, you know, you understand this sphere of oddball watches. We did that great thing on eBay and we were, we were finding like, you know, some good finds. And you kind of dropped the mic a few times on me because you were kind of like, hey, I've just thought of this. What's what? And I was just like... Yeah, okay. You know, I thought I knew oddball watches. So let's let's go through. I, I what is your kind of the oddball watch that you you kind of uh let's let's say it's your Eleanor type, you know, that kind of that watch that you wish that you'd have. Boy, I don't even know how to approach that question. I guess what I can say is that when I first started getting into watch media, I had the fortune of encountering a lot of very oddball watches right away. Like right away, like one of the first times I ever met with anyone's press, it was with Devitt. You remember their oh like my, their their yes. X one WX one that crazy thing? Yeah. And I'm literally like, this is like, this is like 2007, maybe 2008, and I'm meeting with them in San Francisco where we're, and they're showing me this watch, and the thing is insane. It's a spaceship on your wrist, and I did not realize that this was actually a rare thing, right? Like right out of the bat, it's like, here's some crazy several hundred thousand dollar thing. I'm like, okay, well, it's just going to be years of this, right? Oh so my God. right away, I was just shown some of the wildest modern watches ever. And so the bar has been set, you know, kind of high. Well, yeah, you kind of, you kind of really did start. So, okay, first memory was Devitt. I, I'm, I'm like, okay, that, that, that was a really crazy watch. I mean, you've just kind of got to take people back. What, what, where, where did you, you know? You, you said you, were, you saw it in, uh, in LA. So it was San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay, so you, it's one of those things where you kind of going. That's where you first started. That's where you first saw it. But take us back. What was that first experience? Well, okay, so let's let's back up. In 2007, I started a blog to watch, and before that, wasn't a blog to read. It was yes, it was Sorry. called a blog to read. I know that's your favorite name. <laughs> no, no, it's just every time I, I I type it in, I always put a blog to read. It redirects. It redirects. I, and it does redirect, but it's one of those things that I'm like, George, stop it. That, that's where I I lived, kind of like going on there. So it was no, kind of like, I have those things as well. Where like you 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 were raised with something on one name, you just refused to change. I get it. I get it. So okay, so before I start the website. 
I'm reading as much as I can online about watches. And at the time, there wasn't that much, not like today at all. But this was the era where you know, little independent brands, you know, MBNF was just like three years old at the time. And, you know, Orwork was was still really fresh. And there was all these great, you know, cast of independent watches. And that's what was like new. And so I was just, I didn't know that this was some type of like crazy golden age for this stuff. It was just like, oh, Christophe Claret things come out every two months, right? That's what I thought high-end watches was. I didn't even realize people cared about Patek Philippe or anything like that or Rolex. I was like, clearly everyone out there is into this crazy stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so you kind of went in at the, uh, I don't know, the Lamborghini stage and Ferrari stage versus kind of like, hey, going to an Audi or, or a Mercedes. I was so bored by Rolex at the time. Like, there was nothing wrong with it, but like, I couldn't be more bored by a design than a Rolex. I came around. You know how, like, as you get more mature, you start to appreciate the classics. But at the time, I was just like. Who would want to wear this? It was so boring. It didn't do anything crazy. You were into rock music versus kind of classical music. I mean, I like them both, but they both have their their very sort of conservative mainstream stuff and some like wild out there stuff. And yeah, there was a lot of Pink Floyd in my in my day. Do you know honestly? I I think I think there was quite a lot of Pink Floyd in the MBNF days and and those guys because you know you've got you've got to kind of push the envelope to create some of those watches. I mean, there's been some memorable watches. To me, there's been some memorable, crazy watches. But what are those kind of like, you've already said your first memory into the watch world, but what was the kind of memories so far? What are the big memories that you kind of go, oh my God, this watch, this watch, this watch? I mean, it all sort of comes together. I mean, I, I, it, I mean, if you're looking for like names of specific watches, it's, it's funny because I would see these watches and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be impressed in the way they wanted me to be impressed. I always remember like, you know, the first few years, each, they would hand you some grand complication. And they're like, why aren't you going crazy? Like for me, I was really looking for things that connected with the culture that we have. And it took years, right? Like only today, our brand's starting to be like, oh, let's do some stuff with modern pop culture. But at the time, the stuff is so, it lacked so much relevancy. So every time something was like futuristic or like looked ahead a little bit, I was very excited by it, right? Because it, it, it coincided with me that was into technology. You know, I was into everything futuristic. And I didn't realize that most of the watch industry was obsessed with the past. Yeah, and they still are to a degree because they keep on reinterpreting the past to kind of bring it to the future. It's, yeah, and one of the reasons is there aren't, just, there aren't enough actually qualified watch designers out there. Like you, George... Like you self-taught yourself. You began as someone who's obsessed with it. And then you kind of were forced into the role of design, right? You're like, I have to do it if no one else is. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Okay, Bamford London, yes. I I kind of, it it, uh, serves that itch is maybe probably the best way of describing it. But but yeah, you're you're right. I didn't think about it like that. There is, you know, the design side. There is industrial designers, but there isn't someone that's kind of trying to push the forward. You know, there is a few watches that you featured and there's a few um, brands that have come forward in that design sphere. You've already mentioned MBNF, but then let's, Let's go to a mainstream, the AP concepts. Mainstream. I mean, look. They are mainstream in the grand, you know, what I mean is that, you know, they, the stable of big watches, that, that is. But, but ultimately, let's be honest, MBNF did more for that type of design than AP ever has. Okay, yeah. I, 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 do you think then Harry Winston did more for that kind of than, because it felt like they 
um, legitimize some of the some of those guys in some way. It it did, but I think the funny thing is it wasn't until celebrities started wearing and showing those watches off did the mainstream understand. Yes, uh, Max Booser at Harry Winston and later with MBNF was able to get a new generation of watch collector and rich guy interested in a design that that he or she wasn't into a generation before. But what he wasn't able to do, by no fault of his own, was to really penetrate the mainstream. And that was because he's just he was kind of, you know, typically Swiss and allergic to marketing and things like that. Everything earned, everything organic, that's fine. But then a Richard Mill comes along and he's like, wait a minute, we got to pay important people to wear this stuff. And then you started to see things go crazy and mainstream. And Richard Mille was a company that took the sort of lavishness of like old world luxury and introduced a new design ethos that told the general public a high-end luxury watch doesn't need to look like your grandfather's watch, nor does it have to be covered with diamonds. And I think that had an amazing impact that the MBNFs of the world were never able to do. So you you went back to the MBNF, but now Richard Mill, and I, I I agree. You know, there has been Richard Mill has pushed the boundary a few times, like the tutti frutti ones that I, I I've talked about multiple times because it was one of those kind of pushing the envelope on that. I love those. Um, I, I I do you know when I was at SHH and when they presented those watches. I was like, this is just so, it, it, it's almost opposite to the Swiss watch world. It was like, hey, we're going to give you a bag of sweets and we're going to, it was just, everything about it was kind of a cool delivery. It was like. It was also an FU to SIH because it was the last year. Oh, shit. That was it. It was the very last one. I didn't, you're right. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> kind of, they knew it. They're, they're like, we're just going to, we're going to make it crazy. We're going to, I mean. I think what's important is that when you look at this industry and you take the strong will of one man or woman, that's what pushes things. You know, it takes a Richard Mille, a Jean-Claude Biver to just say, I don't care if no one's ever done it before. We're just going to do it. Why? Because I said so. Yeah. And I, the industry is still allergic to that mentality, even though it's been responsible for success every time they've ever had success. Yeah, even on design success of like, you know, Gerard Tunter, you kind of think of, he, yes, of course, he had a design brief, but he 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 said, this is what you have to do. I mean, wasn't his design brief make the Italian retailers happy? Wasn't that it? Oh, my God. If that if that's true, I'm going to be like, that is the coolest kind of like design brief ever. Make, make it. Because that not that who wanted it? Yeah. It, it, all these different collections used to come out of Italy's desire yes. to have something, and they would go to the Swiss brands, and Italians would argue, your watches are too boring, make something better. And it was the integrated bracelet that would work for that. Yeah. And now, okay, but that makes sense. I'm sure someone were, may debunk us, but or correct us on it. But yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think, I think that, that makes, well, for me, it makes total sense. Sorry, you were asking me questions. I know, but this is kind of like, I, honestly, this is, this is for me, I, I love the actual chat about the watch industry because your insight into the watch industry, you have a different, you know, every time I read something and you, you've, during COVID, you've put out some quite um, good statements. Um, Thank and, you. Um, and, you know, so you were kind of, you were challenging everyone to be different, to change. And that's what I kind of wanted to pull out. I know we could talk about the oddball watches, but it's more also, you have a different opinion of the watch industry. You kind of, you love how they they can push the boundary. You also, you, um, 
uh, highlight or put a, a wonderful um, beacon on on some of the brands that need beacons, the independents, the smaller brands, and me. I mean, you've 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 highlighted my brand a hell of a lot. There's one or two people that um, don't like me on on your uh, comments. Don't worry about that. But uh, no, but that's you know, I, I think in life you always have some negatives and some positives. But it's kind of it's you can't please everyone. You're totally right. No, no, that's like a rule of nature. It's like it's like Newton's laws. You have to recognize that if you do something and you show it to a room of 100 people, it doesn't matter what it is. One of them minimum is not going to like it. This is like a foundational rule of the universe. So if you think that you're going to make something to please everyone, you're, you're never going to succeed. And for every person that hates your, your object, there's someone else out there who's going to love it. I promise you. No, I know, I'm, I'm, I know, and and also I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I, what's the best thing? My kids love me, so I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy in life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if your family doesn't like you, you have a problem. Yeah, no. Do you know what I mean? Is it, it's one of those things. But, but look, let's go back. You put out these wonderful statements, and I'm saying wonderful statements. They were very kind of thought provoking, pushing, pushing. And what made you do, you know, and I know we've meant to talk about oddball watches, but I actually want to talk about you. I mean, like what you've seen in the industry. I'm an oddball watch. Well, do you know, actually, I think that's why you and I get on is because we both kind of connect in an odd, oddball watch way. We you know we always, have, every time we've chatted, every time, you know, every time we've, we did that wonderful podcast and we, it was like literally the guy said, look, can you stop now? <laughs> so I kind of, but what, what made you, when you, when you were kind of going through it, tell, tell me what was the thought process? Why, why, what, how? Okay, so I guess you're commenting on the fact that I do industry business analyses on a regular basis. And I've done these for quite a while. At first, when I started, of course, I was just talking about watches. But then as I got to know the industry, you know, I have a legal background and I understand business and I'm try to be, you know, as well-read as I can be. And I try to analyze the watch industry in the context of other industries and geopolitics and economics. And I mean, at the end of the day, what do both you and I want? We want this industry to be as strong and as healthy as possible. That means it's got to sell a lot of watches. It's got to get a lot of people excited about it. It's got to employ people. And it's got to, like, you know, minimize bad decision-making. And so I try to advocate because I meet People and they might be like amazing watch designers or amazing engineers or amazing salespeople, but you rarely get the sense that there's like a guiding force behind the industry. Like there aren't a lot of mature adults in the room. So as soon as I started going to Bob's World for the first time, as I'm sure you had similar feelings, you'd ask yourself like, "What is going on here?" Like I remember like going back, let's say like you know. 2010, for example. And it was just, it was, it was insanity, the amount of money being thrown around. And the one question myself and others had was, who's buying all of these watches? Because you'd see all these watches and brands, you're like, like, where are these even sold? Who, who wants these models? There's nothing wrong with it. It was just, it, it sort of like made me feel that the world is way bigger than I thought. But then I realized a lot of it didn't make any sense. <laughs> no, but also going back to that time in Basel, these those stands were huge. I mean, SIH, sorry, Watch Them Wonders, it, there were still some of the big stands, but it felt a lot more kind of... Do you know this high point? They had over a thousand exhibitors. Wow. Between like Chinese suppliers and the jewelry companies. I mean, do you remember, I don't know if you were there, but like Basel World used to have all these like offsite locations. Yes. And there's the machinists. And, and it was like... Under- yeah. That underground. I remember going down into looking at machines. Different. Yeah. 
And you're like going, what the hell? Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 and then there was also the different areas. Like there was so many weird things that you would go and someone that made all of the plastic um, swing tags and all everything. The, it was just like, you could get, I, it was kind of, for me, it was one of the greatest buying shows because I was like, oh, was oh my great. God, I want that, I want that, I want that. I remember I went to the Bourjon booth one year and I wanted to buy some stuff and they were like, we don't sell here. I'm like, just sell it to me. They were like so weirded out by it. They finally sold me something. It was like, <laughs> so I'm like, this is a trade show and you're not going to sell me some screwdrivers? Come on. Oh, and and uh, yeah, I remember kind of giving over the card and then like the email would come through the next thank you for visiting our stand but um we we'll be getting back to you in two three weeks um what would you like to order and it was just very kind of generic like here's your details and then it was like trying to engage but yeah look the watch industry needs a lot of advice they're not really good at asking but they always need a lot of advice. All these CEOs talk about all the time is how much they like to listen and examine like market signals, but they don't like to ask advice, but they'll listen. So I just sort of adopted the idea of if I say it enough times, eventually they'll think it's their idea. So you're dripping on stone. Okay, yeah. I, Do you know, in, I that, in that yeah. old scenario of like, you know, you can wear through a stone yeah. if you, um, but, but you were saying about the adults. You, you and I have this um, total respect, but also kind of, I, I, I'm, I kind of see like a godlike figure in some ways as Jean Claude Beaver. Um, you know, he is one of the, I, I, you know, the godfather of the watch world at the moment. He is the person that I, you were saying about the adults in the room. But you and I have that same kind of love for him. And he's admittedly, of his own accord, a big kid. And so the funny thing is that that he's the only adult in the room, one of the few, is not a good sign for the industry. I mean, he's the first to admit that he did not want to be like the top dog. He likes what he does and he he has an ego for sure and he deserves enormous respect. But, you know, it shouldn't be just him. There should be like a pantheon of like 15 of Jean-Claude Bivers at any given time. Yeah, because then you can see these wonderful expressions that happen through through them, and you know you only have a few. I, I would say you know uh, he's controversial, but George Kern. No, I, honestly, George Kern. I, I well, firstly, look, Breitling is one of those brands that I absolutely love. I and you know, George, if you're listening to this ever, I would love to work with Breitling. Collaboration, please, please. No, um, I'm not saying that. Actually, you know, he would do it. He would do it. I don't know. I don't know. But it's the first ever watch that I customized. I stripped and rebuilt. Both um, brands start with B. You're already like yeah, 80% there. I know. But it was, it was, you know, 1996 was the first watch I stripped and rebuilt was a Brightling Navitimus. So cool. for me, that, and I think what he's done, I mean, the store, I, I just went to their Bond Street store. I was, I, I went off for lunch today and I saw the Bond Street store and I was just like, and I went in there and I thought, Christ, a lot's changed. You know, it really has, in a very short period of time, what he's delivered, the collaborations he's delivered. Even at Watch Some Wonders, you guys jumped on a jet. <laughs> yeah. And you got an iPad as well. Yeah, there was iPads handed out. I mean, remember the Breitling parties? Yes. So this is, I think he's starting to want to bring it back in a slightly different way, like a little bit of a, you know over-the-top event that sends a big point, not really too much of a focus on the brand, but at the end of the day, you're like, I just had a cool experience with Breitling. And that was very positive for them. And most brands seem to have forgotten that. You know, I'm in here and you have all these wonderful clocks from these different brands. And all of them at some point in their history would do things to just impress the hell out of their customers and the media and the retailers and stuff like that. And then over the last few years, they've cut back on everything. 
And they're like, oh, we just got to focus on the product. And, and tell me if you disagree. But most of these brands are not just a product. No. Without the experience and the people and the collateral and whatever, they're just someone else making an instrument to tell the time. Do you know, I think you're right. Um, and that's why, um, you know, um, you and I were talking um, during lockdown um, and, uh, and after lockdown. And you realize that the CEOs that were dynamic... Uh, were the ones that were, were kind of the voice during during the uh, lockdown, and you saw some dynamic brands. Um, there was one or two that I thought had gone to sleep and um, probably having some time to wait uh, or having problems waking up at the moment. Oh yeah, but I would say is you look at those brands and they're the ones that are doing some things that are kind of crazy and wonderful and pushing pushing the boundary a little bit. You know, I I would say to you is that. Experience-wise, you know, there is some brands that are kind of saying, well, actually, we've almost sold the watch. It doesn't matter about that. It's about connecting to customers, connecting to people and saying, actually, like, we're not bigger than our customer. And part of that is because everybody, and I, I mean, not everyone, but the idea is so many people make a beautiful watch. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, that's still a very hard thing to do. But the market is kind of oversaturated with beautiful watches. If that's all you're looking for, you still don't know what to do. So you need to have all these other reasons, which is the brand personality. And I think in our own separate ways, you and I are both obsessed with brands, like the concept of brand. We have like, we've studied the idea of brand. We can separate the good brands from the bad brands. And like, we love this notion of brand in, in, in our society. And it's like, we want to advocate for good branding practices. Do you, know, you advocate for? Yeah, you're totally right because it is that that idea of actually saying what are you doing that, that really fits on the brand. Chris Granger, IWC. You know, if you look at what they did, their activation in Miami was. You know, there was two great big activations that were very good. I I believe I wasn't there, but I was told by everyone there was two good activations: Tag Heuer and IWC. They owned it to a degree. Tag Heuer doing something that felt very much um they did go-karting is right. what, what i've been told and and the amount of people i had a friend there and they just said that was the coolest thing and then iwc was all over it now for me that is you know they brought their customers they did a very good thing on social media it, it seemed like everything became very connected or was i were you were you there we had we had a member of the team there and, and you're right those are the two brands that invested the most um both of them, of course, have relationship with the event, even though it's technically a Rolex event, and no one actually said anything about Rolex. That's what that's what I'm saying. Not a thing. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, IWC really just making a big splash for the relationship with one of the teams. Uh, they made these, you know, watches. And the funny thing is, this is how smart Chris is. And like, he makes it for the team, but he knows it's in a trendy color, and he doesn't say a word about the fact that it's a trendy color. <laughs> It's just like, oh yeah, it's a Petronas. Uh, oh, that's yes. their blue. They've always been yeah, using. It's it's perfect. Forget that it's aquamarine, and that's the hottest thing right now. Um, and then you know, Tag Heuer again, remembering that people need to have fun. So this is a driving event, and you have gone to these things before. The only thing that you don't do is ever drive. Yeah. So they're like, okay, here, have some fun in go karts and race yourself a little bit. It's like what everyone's been hungry for. You hear engines, and you see cars driving around, and you're just walking or sitting and eating. Do you know, you're totally right. I, th I think it was a genius move because the amount of, you know, and because we're all in these kind of little bubbles and, and we keep on coming out of them, it is the thing that we're experiencing th stuff through other social media out, out, 
outpours and also um uh what do i say uh, a blog to watch uh, sorry a blog to read <laughs> don't confuse people I, I'm not confusing. It's a lot to watch, but but the thing is, it's about the connection to the customer, and and I think what what is happening is that we're experiencing a lot more from a little little square, and that for me is what you're doing. I mean, you've got two watches on your wrist. Both of them I consider oddball watches. Really? Um, yeah. Pretty standard. Jeez, really? One's they're both independents. They're both kind of. You know, crazy design, beautiful design. You can understand the person behind the brand. But why? Why I was kind of saying about the the brand that um, you know shined. There were some brands that shined through lockdown, still shining now. There's one or two surprises recently, um, and I can mention the Omega Swatch that I was like, where I, I I kind of was like, what's happening? And then boom, this happened. I was like. Really? Wow. You know, and that was a big surprise. I, I, you know. You didn't see, I mean, look, no one saw that one coming, but that was, that was like textbook swatch group. Yeah. But do you know, for me, it was textbook caring. How? Because caring with Gucci and Balenciaga, you know, um, Adidas and Gucci, you know, they, they've been like one of the kings of collabs. And you know, in the those fashion brands world, have. those brands, have. you know, and that's not 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 GP and and Ulysses Nardam, but what I'm saying is that was textbook of the fashion world, and I I I, I didn't see this coming in this this form. Okay, well, Swatch Group has been seeing that collaborations are in, right? Yeah. So what do they do? They just collaborate with themselves. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying it's textbook swatch group. It's that they like they like a concept, but then when they apply it, they actually amusingly go go against the concept, which is to work with an outsider. Yeah. So, so they, it's called a collaboration, and it technically is, but it's actually just an inside job. So the whole point of getting outside creative energy was kind of lost. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, 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 now you describe it like that. I'm like going. Yeah, okay. But I still think it was genius because it, it, it's one of those that surprised a hell of a lot of people. It shows you they still got it. It shows you that they still know how to put together a product that moves the market. I mean, I want to say one thing that is is very true about, about Swatch Group. Out of any company out there, they can make the best watch at the lowest price if they want to. The team of engineers they have, the various companies they have. I mean, they are a watch-making powerhouse. That is what they are. They are a very sophisticated manufacturing organization, and they're very, very good at it. All the other stuff, which is required to sell a watch, is things that they're, you know, they're just as good as anyone else. Marketing, distribution, sales, blah, 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 blah. But they are still the kings of product. And, and I love to see that because every couple of years there's some product that sort of they really nerded out on. Um, and you never know where it shows up. It's like Breguet once in a while or Longines or Swatch. Omega gets a lot of it. But if you are a watch collector, it's so hard not to just like truly appreciate a lot of things they do. I mean, you know, we're doing an event in, in Los Angeles uh, not in, later this month after the Bramon event with Tissot. And, you know, Swatch Group brand um, hasn't really done anything in a long time. And if you really look at their products, like their stuff starts like under $400. Yeah. And it's really good for that. Like the $400 watch used to buy several years ago was like garbage compared to the stuff today. And at like under $1,000, you get like a really nice mechanical watch. This is the funny thing that's happened. A Tissot watch is for the money a better value than a Seiko right now. 
Okay. Wow. And that is not something that most people are thinking about or able to sort of come to that conclusion. No, because you, you've got a legacy issue. Right. That's the only thing to, like, if you'd brought it out as, as you know, a new brand you, and you put the Swatch Group behind it, it everyone would be like, wow. But there is a legacy issue with, you know. It's a branding uh, issue. It is a branding issue. It's, it's, you know, how, why Seiko versus Grand Seiko. You know, the, there was almost that kind of thing of like saying, this is the, the you know, it's like Tissot um, Supreme or... Well, t- it's, it's, it's reversed because when Seiko was just a, a cheap watch, Tissot was really hot. Yeah. And now Seiko is a, is a sexy brand, not actually at the cheap watch level anymore. And Tissot is like a beautiful but in some ways forgotten name. <laughs> no, you, you're right. I, I, I was in Monaco um, for the um, Classic Grand Prix and I saw loads of Tissot branding on some of these vintage cars. And I was like, frick, I, you know, and you just go, why? why? Why haven't I got one? Why is, you know, there is that thing in your mind that you go, what the hell? You don't have the latest T-Touch? No, but do you know what was amazing was, and when you talk about T-Touch, and this is a memory, and I, I know that uh, we're about to change over time, so I, we've waxed on already, but I think we, I think this is kind of going to be that case where we're going to be carrying... George and Ariel, episode 24. Yeah, it's kind of like, as I said, you know, it's because we're not, we're not talking about oddball watches, but we're talking about watch experiences. And I remember the first time uh, a friend of mine had a... Tiso Touch, uh, T-Touch, and I, he showed it to me, and we were on holiday, and we are all together, and he just, and it was like a new thing, and he kept on pressing it in different places, and, and it was my first, and I was just like, that is so cool, when the hands spun round, and they did, and I didn't like the design of the watch, but I just loved the idea that you could touch, and it could do, and, and to have a memory of a watch and the functionality of it. It's like Breitling when they did their aerospace and you could adjust everything from the crown. And, I, and there was that kind of, when you first saw it, you were like, damn. And I think that's something that kind of, you know, is missing. From okay, something. so ma- imagine this. The T-Touch came out, I think it was about the year 2000, maybe a year before, something around the year, maybe 99, but yeah. about the year 2000. And, I, you know, I graduated high school in the year 2000 and, you know, I, looking at aspirational watches a lot. And, and this was a watch that was very much on my radar. So here I am with this watch, which was electronic, did all these cool features, was titanium, looked futuristic and cool to me. Like, this is what I imagined high-end watchmaking was going to be a lot about. Not everything, but like a lot about this. And so, as you can see, I was, I'm always expecting innovation, novelty, futuristic stuff, practicality. And then as I got more and more into watches, I recognize that things like the T-Touch are not the norm, but very much the exception. And why today I still get sometimes so weirded out when people obsess over these like new, new vintage style watches. I'm like, where's the new functionality, everyone? Where's the new complications? You know, I've written unsolicited emails to brands I work with, like recommending new complications to them. I just like literally CC everyone at the company I know and just write these crazy long things. <laughs> oh. I'll, I'll tell you a funny one. We'll move over to me and I'll, I'll just say it. I don't care. And this is funny because it was, it was in December of 2019. Okay. So it was right before the pandemic. And I wrote an email to people at Citizen Group. Okay. Oh yeah. And yeah. I was like, I wrote this so impassioned. If you're, if you're listening, just please make it guys. 
And this is what I said to them to do. They own Bulova, as you know. And in the 80s, they came out with a watch called the Thermatron. Okay. Yeah. I Christ. Yeah. Thermatron, yeah. cool design, was supposed to be powered by your skin t- your skin temperature. And it 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 worked in certain limited environments. Make a long story short, they stopped making it because it just wasn't commercially viable enough. And so I said to them, okay, revival watches are a thing, you're a citizen, da 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 da, da. How, Let's bring back the Thermatron, but in a different way. That technology didn't work, but let's do something else. Let's take the infrared thermometer technology that is very popular right now, and I want you guys, because you're a citizen group, to miniaturize it and put it in a wristwatch. And so the, what you would do is you would push a little button on your watch, it would point the infrared camera upwards, and it would take a reading of the actual ambient temperature. Nothing else does this. The watches that have thermometers on them, the thermometer's inside. The only way for you to actually get a current reading of temperature is to take it off your wrist and put it on a table for like a half hour. Okay? Because the, the, the temperature that it's reading is a combination of your skin temperature and whatever's inside the watch. It's not actually the immediate ambient temperature. So I said Citizen is uniquely positioned to miniaturize this existing technology that the Japanese love to do is miniaturize stuff is watchmaking in general. That's what it's all about. And put in a watch because there's nothing else out there. And how cool would it be to have a watch so you knew your temp? Even your phone only takes weather data. Yeah, but your car can tell you the temperature outside. But but not like okay, but you can't take your car very no, with no, you. No 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 no. But what I'm saying is that technology is there. So it's not it's not when you say about miniaturization, it's taking that technology that's existing in a car. Yeah, and uh, putting it. Into well, a you know those little guns that people shoot. Those yeah. little th- th- those have been around for a long time. Those things cost about ten bucks. They're not expensive. I'm talking about taking that technology and miniaturizing. Anyways, I recommended them right before the pandemic. How cool do you think it would have been if there was a wristwatch that could take temperature of someone's forehead right away? I mean, that would that would have saved me a lot of those things going up my nose. <laughs> All I'm saying is, like, I, I, I think it was a little prescient that I, I recommend to them. Hopefully someone will come out with that technology someday soon. But I just, I just tell brands, that most of them, they don't even respond. I, it's embarrassing the number of messages I've sent to people at Apple about recommending new things to them. They're like, thank you so much, Ariel. We'll take that into consideration. You know, it goes into the black hole or something. That's kind of a, a, a bit of a like, oh, really? Are we going to, yeah. Uh, no, it, no, but do you know, that's the same for me. There is a thing with certain brands and I'm like, oh my God, you should be doing that, you know. But you get them made. Well, yes, yes, okay. Yes, I do. I, 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 I'm very lucky because I think some people think I'm absolutely nuts. And, and they're like, look, because I'm like you, I'm like, this is what we should do. And I, I do the design to show them the design. And they're like, we're, we're switching over to superlative, I guess, right now. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it, I, go, think go, it's, go. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of those things where we're going to be chatting on both sides. But, but it is that thing of like, I, I, I'm, I, I like I'm moving quickly, but it's also if I have an idea, it, it just probably like you well it's kind of similar to you is it consumes me and you know like at the moment there's a design i'm creating at the moment and it's consuming me i mean i can't sleep at the moment and it really is i can't sleep i'm sleeping about an hour and two hours a night at the moment just going frick i'm this is the this is how we're going to market it this is you know I've, i've come up with a whole marketing plan i've come up with the design how we do the box everything and it's and I still can't sleep. I'm just like, what else can I put into this to see how we can do it? So here's my first question, I guess, on this topic. 
The collaboration watch, I believe, is not only a success, but it's here to stay. It's, yes. a, it's a great overall theme. It doesn't work every single time, but overall it works. Give people advice. How do you get a watch brand to make their idea? You're probably the most successful uh, enthusiast collector turned, hey, we're going to make a watch for you. So George Bamford's going to explain in three easy steps how to get the world's best luxury brands to make your designs. Oh, my God. Um, uh, honestly, it is hard. It's not easy. You know that. Um, I I would say to you is... Um, I'm only as good as my as the watch that I've just sold. And what I mean is that every time that we've done a collaboration, you always look at it and you kind of go, is this working? Um, and, you know, is the sales working? Is, is you know, and brands care. And I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit different to this. Is something pampers my ego when someone says, hey, it's sold out in this amount of minutes or this amount of hours. That's a really good thing. But for me, that also slightly bugs me because um, we just sold out, uh, we did the Bremont watch that you saw next door in the office. And I absolutely loved the design of that. That has taken quite a few years to come to where it is. Really? Okay, so it's not, it's not, it's not been, it's, it, um, but the thing about that watch is I have had probably uh, about 20 clients that have been desperate for that watch recently, big clients of mine. And they're like, I want the watch. And I'm like, it's sold out. Now, what I'm saying to you is, if that's the case, how many are missing out of Bremont? How many missing? And I, I don't love that people miss out on getting the watch. Easy solution. Make more. But the problem is that I thought this was a big number for a Bremont watch. It's 250 watches. I thought it was a big number for me. I thought the price for a point was right. I thought, but, it, but it's also one of those things that I'm like going, is everyone going to buy it? Is it, you know, you never know, you know, is, is, is someone else liking the design that I like, you know? I, and so that's, why is that such a big deal these days? What do you mean? Well, okay. So l let's go back. I don't know, before the internet and you wanted to make a product, you made the product and you just knew that it was going to take a while. Like you knew that you were going to have to like market it and sit on it. And it just takes a while to get out there. Yet there's this weird, probably super unrealistic expectation today that everything nice is immediately known as nice. In an industry where we know that super nice things can take generations to be oh, yes. figured out as nice. So I think a fatal flaw is that products aren't being made because people worry that it's not going to sell out immediately, which is a foolish hope to begin with. Do you know, I think it's time resources. And I think that there is a lot of brands asking to do a collaborations and, or, and people are asking to do collaborations. Um, I'm very lucky um, with brands that I've been working with um, and brands that I'm going to be working with. It, it is, I, I, I pinch myself every day that they say yes. But I would say to you is I, I'm only buying um, collaboration watches. Uh, limited edition collaboration watches or limited by their own brand to them. And I that's will, what you're interested in now. I will only, uh, I'm only buying those as vintage, uh, as for the future, because there's a finite amount of these watches. So if, if let's, let's say a Bell and Ross comes out as a limited edition and it's this, 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 if it's something that appeals to me, I will buy that 
as that watch. I won't buy a regular Bell & Ross. I will want that. And the reason is because I know there is a finite amount of them. So let's, let's, go, let's go 20 years down the line. If you know that there is only, I don't know, 50, 100, 200, 300, whatever it is, you know that that's amount. There is only that amount in the world. Why, why does the exclusivity matter to you? Because, and I, I, I always say about, you don't buy something, uh, you know, I, I don't buy it because I want to as, as an investment, but the understanding in my mind, I think they are good investment pieces. Um, you know, I look at these watches. I love the brands. I love, you know, like, you know, we can go down every brand that's done collaborations and limited editions. Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blog to Watch store. Right now, the Blog to Watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Okay, well, let's get into a debate right now, okay? Okay. I hear what you're saying and I know that it's the predominant mentality in the subject, but I'm going to take a different position and that is why are you buying watches to focus on value retention? This is a hobby? I'm, no, I'm not. No, no. I'm, well, I, I'm not saying you. I'm like one, one. So, right? so why would someone? I, I guess my my larger point is, why can't you just focus on spending money on your hobby versus retaining? I, I know that it's people are obsessed with value right now, but I feel like there's something to be said about it's okay to lose a bunch of money because it's your hobby and it's what you love. Like imagine with like a significant other, you're like, I'm never going to see that five thousand dollars for that ring coming back. Like no, no, you 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 spend money into the relationship. So for me. Vintage, I go crazy and I, I don't look at what the secondhand price would be on that. So I've got downstairs, so I've got a, a Tag Heuer titanium um, that's uh, sitting downstairs. I'm so tickle pink that I've got it. And I did say tickle pink, so just so you know. I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I, I'm, I'm so happy about getting this watch. And it sat on my desk and it makes me smile. Now, that is a vintage watch. It's a it's an ugly thing, but it's wonderful and it, it, it appeals to me. Now, if it goes up or goes down, I don't give a monkeys. I really don't care. I, okay. I, 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 and That's I'm, healthy. You just okay. wanted it. I wanted it. And and now I'm let's let's go for I don't know. Um Mr. Porter did a collaboration with uh, IWC. Okay. So they did the Mr. Porter edition for 10 years of Mr. Porter. They did this IWC watch. I love that the IWC watch that they did that was the pilot. I love that pilot. Now, I love their pilots. I love their new Tahoe ones that they brought out and the, the Lake Erie. You know, I thought really, really cool. But I loved that that was a Mr. Porter IWC, I like that collaboration. I also liked the the limited edition and name nature of it. Now, 
would I go and sell them? No, I wouldn't go and sell them. But what I do look at long term, I think, well, it does kind of pat you on the back a little bit that you go, okay, they may have gone up or may have gone down. I, you know, but I like, I, you know, some of my watches have gone up. Quite a lot of them have gone down. They still make me smile. You know, during lockdown, I think you and I were talking about this. I went through all my watches and I went, okay, which ones am I going to get rid of? Which ones, you know, do we go out to auction? Which ones? Because I didn't know where we were going to be. Were we going to hit a, a massive recession? Are we, were we going to, you know, as soon as we got locked in our houses, I was thinking, well, you know, is it going to be, you know, trading watches for food? You know, I, I didn't know. So I literally went through all my watches and I was like, here's a box of things that don't make me smile. Here's a box of things that makes me smile. This is worth one meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. these are the ones. But, and most of them were kind of like other people's expressions of, of limited, you know, so like that Hood Inky one that I've just said to you recently. But there's, let's, you know, you can go through so many different limited editions. I love the idea that there is a finite amount of them. You know, you don't bump into many people. I, and saying that, I, I, I was so blown away when I, and I've mentioned Monaco already to you but i'm flying back from monaco um and uh and it sounds very strange i'll show you after this thing but um i kind of was a bit stalkerish on the plane so i'm sorry to were say. you stalked or being stalked i was stalking. Stalk- you're stalking I, I, I was stalking so that was that was the sad thing i was sitting on the plane and i was sitting behind this gentleman and he had the bremont watch on his wrist the Banff bremont and oh he I, had your watch he had my watch and i was just i was and I was like, first off, I was like, is it really? Because I hadn't seen one outside. No one I knew, no one, you know, it wasn't my mother or my father. What's your, what's your opening line that isn't creepy? So, no, so this is the thing. So I got my camera out and I was filming, trying to get closer and closer to the camera, <laughs> to the watch, in. just to go, ah. Uh, and anyway, I didn't realize his wife was behind me whilst I was filming this. Anyway, I... Uh, I got up and went, went to the bathroom, came back and I went, I really love your watch. And he goes, oh my God, I've just got it. It's so amazing. Let me, and, and I went, um, hey, I'm, I'm George Bamford. And he went, oh my God. And then literally we started talking about it and he goes, oh, you've got to take a wrist shot. And, and it was just, for me, what I love is that I didn't think I'd see one out in the wild, even that soon. And some of these limited edition watches you don't see out in the wild. You can't go to, so this is the other thing is, and yes, the value comes into it. And I know that annoys you about the value, but when you go to a retailer, you see the same watch. And every retailer, I can see the same watch. You know, even at the Tag Heuer event, I saw a hell of a lot of the same watches. And, you know. Collectors hate that, by the way. What? No, I'm saying collectors hate that. If you see someone wearing your same watch, much like I guess we hear about women hating other women wearing the same clothing, that's that's the male manifestation of that. If there's another dude wearing your watch, you're like, God damn it, they look better than that. Oh my God, no, no, I, honestly, but no, it's not that. I I saw a lot of the same watch, um, and I should have turned up with a Monaco, but I didn't. I, I I it was kind of one of my my kind of weirdness. I had a Solnar on my wrist instead of instead of a Monaco in it, and. Uh, because I knew they were launching. You knew there were going to be other Monacos there. Yeah, but I also knew they were going to launch a damn cool Monaco. So I was just like, okay, guys, look, I will, I'll, I, I, that's you, you know. And I, so I turned up in a sauna. But what I would say to you is that I, 
love the idea of of something where there is only going to be X amount of people. You know, I I know with with that Bremont, I didn't think I was going to see someone almost ever wearing one of those Bremonts because there's only 250. I would have said something way creepier. What you said was really good. That was the right thing to say. Yeah, but but the wife was behind me watching me filming her husband's watch. So I'm like, you know, coming back from yeah, France. Yeah, you can talk, you can talk it, about it. It, it kind of looked like I was, a, you know, going to be nicking it off his wrist or something. Um, so, yeah, did I really admit I that? I would have been like, you know my name's on your watch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then he wouldn't probably be able to find it because it's grey on grey. The Bremont of Bamford is kind of. I mean, he would have seen it by that point. He bought the thing. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think what was what's amazing about the limited edition nature is that you don't see many of them out there. And then when you see someone, so like let's say your meetups, and let's say you know when you get people together and they're wearing a you know x amount of different watches. When when like two of them wear the same watch, it's they kind of form something. So here's what I'm hearing, because I hear something very different than value. I guess part of my larger theory is while people speak to liking the value, what they're actually talking about is something else. And I, I think what you're really trying to say is that you want something that's two things at the same time. It's hard to be. One is familiar, meaning people need to recognize it. But two, not exactly the same, is what everyone else is familiar with. So it's it's kind of like going back to a long time ago, the, the notion of the pink Cadillac. Everyone knew the Cadillac, but if you really wanted to stand out, you'd have the pink Cadillac. Yeah, okay. Right, yeah. so I feel like there, that's really what's going on right now a lot. People want to be recognized, but they don't want to be the same because we've all been to enough events where everyone has like a, you know, a Daytona, yeah. right? People used to be thinking, oh, I'm such a cool guy, I got my Daytona. Then you're like, oh my God, everyone here has Daytonas, even nicer ones than mine. What, what do I do? So it's, it, you have to show individuality while showing, you know, uh, being part of that group. And doing those two things, being in group while identifying yourself as an individual, which of course is very important to the mentality of the watch collector if we are to be a species, that's what that is. But I don't actually see any behavior which suggests to me that people are ever recognizing that it goes up in value or something like that. The amount of people that you know, sell their watches that are of high value. It's tiny. It's a mental thing. It's it's almost never realized value. And so it just kind of bothers me that people are saying something, they think that it's like this trendy thing to say, when it doesn't actually manifest in their behavior at all. So that box of watches I, I got rid of um, were very, very boring watches. And yes, I got some good money for those watches. Of course, I got some good money for those watches. But uh, not of course, but there was, you know, it paid for some other watches and paid for some vintage. Um, you know, I brought some amazing Hoyas and some other kind of I'm crazy sure. stuff that I. But but the other thing, and I I don't like peacocking, if you know what I mean by that. Is really? Show, <laughs> There's no shame in it. No, but I I don't like the show. The I I, I put a watch on for myself, um, and I uh, and yes. You don't want to shamelessly peacock. I'm not. I'm not someone. That I used to love kind of shooting my cuff and going, "Hey, look at my watch." Now I'm like, honestly, I, I you know, I, I put it on this morning. I put it on a show pod this morning, and the reason why I put it on this morning was because I, I was like, I got some black and orange um, trainers, and this watch so works with that, and it, and it's just, and it's, it's, it's what I feel like today. Now, 
you know, you're coming in. I should have had, you know, something kind of uber kind of new or something to show you that was kind of like the new, new, new. This is a watch that sold out last year. It's, it's, it's you know, it's one of those that, but it just felt right to me. I was just with them on their California Mila, so I'm I'm all about the Mila Miglia right now. So, well, that I didn't, I well probably subconsciously, you know, I'd been looking at your Insta and kind of going, oh, you know, he's no, I. But it could have been that I could have been wearing something new for you, and I and no, I. Well, well it's very kind of you to think about that. No, but if I was if I was really kind of putting out my feathers and saying, hey, look at me, but that's not the relationship you have with me. No, but even like today. You know, you, it was like, I was like, please come and see us. And then we it's pitch black in the office. We had to turn on the lights in the watchmaker's area. And we're just kind of locked in the office. Um, I think we actually probably are locked in the office. But um, it's kind of like night at the museum. We, it's And there's been no plan. I mean, I, I said to you, I said, oh, should we do a podcast? And you were like, yeah, why not? Let's, let's do. And I think that's because it is our relationship. It's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's what do you wear for you? I mean, you've got a Vertex on that I think is an awesome watch. And you you took it off and you said, hey, do you want to have a look at it? I was like, yeah, but I've already seen it. This is and it, and it was kind of very like, hey, this works. Well, I think you and I know that we would never just be seen wearing a boring watch. Yeah. And I think that that's something that a lot of collectors, they get to that point where they get so sick of trying to impress others they just fall into this mode where they want to wear something that's comfortable and fun. And having like a bright colored sports watch or something like that is one of the easiest ways to do that, isn't it? So I really I find it interesting to see what people sort of like fall into. Like what, and, and that's, you know, everyone's like, why is the Patek Philippe Nautilus so popular? Well, if you're that type of person that that only wants to buy at that price level or only wants to have that name, most of the Pateks available to you like aren't very comfortable for daily wear. Don't go with you know anything leisure, which is why they've had to start making more and more like quote unquote sport watches. But there's nothing like so amazing about the design. It's fine. It's just that like the watch industry had been really ignoring how people wear their watches, and it's it's still funny how often I get watches because you know, I review them all the time in that are like patently uncomfortable to wear, and I'm like, who said okay to this? Because, like, someone there just would have put it on and be like, oh, wait a minute, super sharp. But, like, still stuff comes out to me that's, like, painful to wear. And I think that's what amazes me is that the brands today haven't figured out people buy what's comfortable to wear. Don't you agree? I, I agree. I And I kind of think what you said about, you know, bright and colorful. I think, you know, what I was surprised about is when we launched the G-Shock, um, how many serious, serious watch collectors brought those those G-Shocks? I mean, like, I was like, wow. Well, that was like your your Omega and Swatch. That's what yeah, it was. But it, it just surprised me. I, I, and why I'm saying it surprised me, because it, it was one of those things where you saw the serious guys, you know, that were, let's say, the Patek collector or the whatever collector. And I was saying to them, I said, well, why, 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 why have you brought it? And they're like, oh, it reminds me of this. It's right. It reminds me of this. I love this. And and it, and I was just like, that was that's cool. You know, it's also like um, I I bumped into someone that had got the Mickey Mouse Bulgari on their wrist, and I was just like, love that one. I well, see, it made me smile. And I went to them. I said, why? Why? Because this was not someone that I would ever clock wearing that. 
And they went, it just really connected with me. And I went, okay. And I said, but why? And they're just like, oh, the hands are crazy. This is cool. You know, and it's bulgary, but it's different. And I, I also know that it's just going to put, put it on my wrist and make me smile. And I was like, yeah, hats off to you. Well, that's what luxury was always supposed to do is make you smile. And for too many generations, they got stuck. They Serious. got stuck. They always said like, you know, we're relevant, we're, you know, but they never were because they were doing something that was relevant to the past. Like how many years were brands still celebrating Steve McQueen? You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, this was cool a while ago, but brands are only recently catching up with what's important today. And when a brand does it well, I mean, look at Louis Vuitton, some of their clothing collaborations, stuff like that. It's been amazing. It's same thing with Gucci's you're talking about. It, it's it's not rocket science. They're just making it relevant today. They're, they're, they're no longer, you know, trying to romance what somebody would have worn in like, you know, 1960s London. Like, yeah, those are cool outfits, but like, it's not relevant to how people dress today. And so, I mean, oh my God, I don't remember what year I did, but I wrote this big article uh, one of the ones you're probably mentioning about how the watch industry is just not being relevant, even though they say they are. And I, I detailed it out. You know, 10 years later, they do something about it. But this is exactly what we we're talking about early in the conversation where like, I'll just, if I notice something, I'll just do it. Um, I'm not looking for credit. Uh, you know, hopefully someone will thank me eventually. But when I see the brands actually doing it or other people repeating it, then I know I'm onto something, right? Like I was just reading an article yesterday uh, by Miss Tweed, which is another publication I like talks about industry. And Astrid was talking about how the brands are screwed in China. I'm like, I've been telling everyone, I've been like going over and over again, like, don't put all your eggs in the China basket. Don't put all your eggs in the China basket. It's, it's a wonderful market, but if you're going to rely on that market to sustain your brand, you're going to have some economic problems because of a lot of things. They just could no longer rely on in doing business easy there for so many changes. And, and now other people are starting to repeat. I'm like, it's about freaking time. Why? I'm not angry at anyone or I'm not trying to embarrass them. I'm trying to say like, um, for the industry to keep having like revenue, don't be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 and, and you're, you're right. I, I, I think that's... It, do you know, it is that thing of, I've been to quite a few events and quite a few things and and there was quite a few watch events that are not the brands I work with, but some of them and uh, not some of the ones that I work with, but it it was almost like telling their, their, their team or their, their customers, you have to be suited and booted for this. And, and you're like going... Well, I wear a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. I'm, I wear trainers most of the time, and that's my that's how I feel comfortable. So when I when I and so I I went to one of the, it was a likewise obviously. No, well, you and I. That's why I was like, I, you know, I like the top, I like the jacket, I like you know, and and. I think you and I have got the monochrome thing kind of working. You're you're kind of in this wonderful claret color, and I'm all black. I, it's kind of I, I, yeah. Anyway, that's that's another story that we'll go into. But it is that thing of like that connection to the customer. It's the connection of saying, hey, you know, we can do the dress up, but really, it's about how how do we connect into the customer, and we're not bigger than the customer. Well, here's the thing. The customer doesn't wear suits and they haven't for a long, long, long time. And, you know, growing up in LA, the only people that wore suits were like bankers and lawyers and salespeople. Like, that's it. 
No, nobody that ran a business or that was in a creative field ever has worn a suit. And it may be in Paris once in a while, you know, but like, or in Italy. But for the most part, like, in a lot of parts of the world, that's not the attire. So why would people want to buy watches that go with that attire? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just common sense. And even when you and I manifest it, what do they do? They say, oh, no, no, you need to dress like us. But guys, back at home, me and my buddies don't. Yeah. Don't, don't ask us to pretend like your small sphere of culture is the be-all, end-all of luxury. That's not going to gain you guys any success. You have to be more open-minded. And they're still very stubborn at it. Still very, very stubborn. Because you and I travel a lot. We know what wealthy, youthfully minded people, not even wealthy, just people with some disposable income, they're into activity. They're into, you know, uh, being comfortable. I mean, being successful in a lot of parts of North America means that when you're at work, you can dress however you want. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm successful. I get to finally wear a nice suit. I I haven't heard anyone ever say that. Not in my sphere. Do you know, you're totally right. That's why when I, I, I wanted to do the ultimate tool watch with uh, the Aqua Racer, you know, it was, it was one of those things because it was a watch where you could go anywhere with it. You know, it was that beat around. Such a great one, by the way. I, well, thank you. I, I'm, I'm blushing already. No, I, no, but I, I love that kind of bringing back the titanium though. That, but it was that idea you know, Tag Heuer, well, firstly, it's got a young, dynamic CEO. And, you know, um, and I was checking out his trainers this weekend. I was like, okay, I like this. Um, but it was one of those things where you kind of go, actually, that it's it's a young, dynamic CEO. Even Chris Granger, you look at, he's a young, dynamic person. Um, you know, there's brands that are doing something dynamic. Um, so could you get someone like that to finally run Rishma? Um, <laughs> no. Uh, well, no, but George is like, gotta be political, gotta be political. No, no, no. I, 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 I've got, I wish I'd have a relationship with uh, Richemont, but no, it's, it's not that I, I just look at, you know, these guys and you think they are, they're doing, do you follow them on social media and you go, these guys, they're doing things, they're, they're being dynamic. You know, Julien from uh, Zenith, you know, he's he's a cool guy. He's He's been going out there and doing stuff. I'm, he was, during the pandemic, doing so much. Roman was doing so much. You know, you, you look at some of the CEOs that are really, and then there's others that would be wondering, wanting to be wafted around in a Mercedes and, and turn up at an event. And that's not now, you know, you want to almost see someone being more um, energetic than other other brands, you know. Okay, I, I have a question, slightly different topic here. Okay, good idea or bad idea? And this is the thing. You're someone who loves watches and has a bunch of money. You want to do a collaboration, the brand just isn't going to do it for you. So what you do instead is you say, I want to buy the, I don't know, 100 watches. You're going to make it to my specification, you're going to sell them to me, and if I want to resell them, I'll do whatever I want with them. Good or bad idea? Uh... I think I know which brand you're talking about. No, well. I'm, t- okay. I'm just talking about the concept. No, well, there were, I, I heard about a brand that will sell you 100 watches. But, oh, there's plenty. Um, but um, I think it's a good concept. I think it's, um, but I think if you can do enough around it, and um, what I mean is if they actually give you more freedom to do what you want. Well, you'd have to demand that. Then they would charge you a fortune for doing it. What do you mean? Well, see, this is the thing about person. Like, I, you know, I pride myself on personalization. So, if you look at it, 
there's a certain window of price where people get priced out of the market, even if you are, you know, a squillionaire. So they'll they'll charge you such a premium that it won't make economic sense to some some brands would you know and and that's where I would go where I I would be concerned is that the price would be so up there or if it's just putting your logo on the dial or coloring the dial I don't know okay so I completely agree and I should have said I sort of said like make you whatever you want I. I I agree with you that to do this, you would have to push back and make it clear to the brands, I just don't want a custom printed dial. I don't want some other color. I want like some new parts. You're going to have to make some new parts. And if you're doing 100 pieces, you know, I'm not talking about some of the top, top brands of like Patek um, or... A a, a thousand pieces. Whatever it is, it's the idea that you come in with your own budget and you you have them do what they do best, which is make watches. But then the other thing is, I, I, I think they could do it. I think quite a lot of brands would want to do it. But I think their design team would take so long to do it that the person that's spending the money would probably fall to sleep um, whilst it was being done. So, it, so you're saying that assuming a brand would be ready to play ball and do so within a reasonable amount of time... It's a good idea because I think that's a way of getting some actual creativity out there because so much of these collaborations seem to rely on the brand funding the production run. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The only thing I will say to you is um, now something I've I've learned along the way. So and it's brand certain well every brand out there have their core collection. You know you can work through any watch out there and you can say. This is their core collection. The bum, the bum, the Speedmaster, the Monaco, the... Uh, but each brand has, a, you know, a plethora of, of their core collection. Right. They, as a brand, they want to promote that as their their watches. So, uh, you know, I, I could say to you, as let's say that, and I'm going to be told off about this, but the Proplof or the Proplof... You, they reissued it, but let's say that they reissued just the simple one. The, I think it was a three hundred, without the side change. Now, let's say if I wanted to go and do that, that's not on core. That's not on core. That's on museum. Or let's say we go into. Um, I'm just trying to think of the original um, Hublot. You know, the original shaped Hublot. Freaking cool. You know, I'd love that would be something I would love. Like the MDMs? Yeah, the MDMs. I love that for me is like the cool, cool hublots. Now that would be something I'd be like, oh my God, you know, can we do, can we reinterpretate that in a modern material to do that? You know, could we look at the past, but do something new? I, I really want, I would love to do, do that is new materials on an old, old thing. That for me is a great execution is something new. Jared Perigo when they did the casquette, the new material that they did on that, the ceramic um, armadillo um, bracelet was freaking cool and the new edging. and the, So that's taking an old idea, an old design and bringing new new stuff into it. That Then I would say to you, is that what I, uh, if I was doing it, but for them, you're going off their core. And, and GP, because it's got a, a wonderful dynamic uh, CEO, he's kind of gone, yeah, we're going to go and do the casquette. 
But doesn't money speak pretty loud? Like, again, we're still assuming that it's decisions that they're making. Doesn't the fact where you say, yeah, 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 but I'm going to pay for it, doesn't that go a long way in their books? Yeah, but I think I think that they're also about brand um, and their core executions. You've also got to realize there's a lot of people with a lot of money out there that could, and I'm sure they're vast, and a lot of brands have gone, no, we're not doing that, or it doesn't see the light of day. I feel like they should be asking a lot more. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like most people go to them assuming the brand is like willing to pay for the collaboration. And what I'm realizing is that's the way to get the least amount of creativity. Like the creative collaboration is not the norm. It's the exception to the norm. And like you said, you can go in there and you know how to push them. Because I'm sure that their first like salvo to you is like something unbelievably unsatisfying. You're like, no, that's too boring. Yeah, but I, I, it's the other way around. I go to them and I'm like, "This is what I'd love to do. Please, 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 can we do it?" And and that and, and so I show them in advance. But well, you hit that point now. No, no, no. Even when I started, I, I, I so not, you already come to them with a design, I, design concept, oh, fashion, the, okay. the marketing, the the whole whole. You have a whole presentation deck. Yeah. Do you wear a suit? Uh, no, actually, I, I wear a bomber jacket, and no, actually, I wear what I'm wearing today. Really, okay. I, you know, I, I, I was just kidding. <laughs> Do I wear a suit? <laughs> when you share it to them, you know. Hello. Do you have a uh, laser pointer? Oh yeah, no, no, I, no I, it's it's <laughs> it's it's just on a piece. It's on a uh, anyway. But for me, and most of the stuff they don't do. But I, I, I'm because I said to you, I. I'm up all night kind of, so I kind of really look down the whole whole uh, position on it. But look, you're right. If you came to a brand and you said, hey, I want to do this, but I don't think a lot of brands would probably do it because they're set up and their tooling is set up for their core. And to make a new tooling and doing the whole thing, it's, it's a big expense. I know this because there's been a few projects where I've gone, I mean, You've seen here in the office sometimes when you go downstairs and you 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 see my designers, they they really are kind of coming up with some, you know, we've come up with some really cool ideas, some watches we wanted to see, but you don't, it doesn't kind of see it, you know, you go to the go to a brand and we we've got a project that I'm, I keep on talking to this brand and saying, hey, can we do this? Can we do this? Please, 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 and. It, each time we're about to go go there, it's like, but this is the core style. This is what we're doing. Okay, I, I guess I guess we'll have to sort of like revisit that conversation because I think it's an incredibly uh, sort of robust area to talk about because I do want them to push the envelope, and I think that there's there's ways of doing it because I think if you just rely on the brands to do it, it's going to continue at a snail's pace like it is today. Yes, I agree. Um, I'm I'm now concerned time, but what I would say to you is. I agree with you, but there is some freaking cool, um, freaking cool brand, oh, freaking cool CEOs and and great people that are out there that are doing this already. They're they're pushing out their own expressions. So I would I would say to you is watch the space. You know what I'm looking at at the moment. You know, you think about even the automotive world. Porsche has pushed the boundary themselves. They found people to collaborate. They've done some things that aren't aren't there. And and the watch world comes following after the after the automotive world. By the way, I love this Hoyer uh, chronograph that we're using to time this. I was just seeing a very similar device in like an old vintage car, 
And uh, it's <laughs> it's such a cool prop. You have so many cool toys. I wish people uh, could come see your your little world. I mean, um, I, I guess my one m- massive compliment I can I can give you is you continue to be a good caretaker of your own brand. Oh, thank you. You know, you, wow. you've grown it. I remember our first meeting years ago in L.A. where you had a suitcase of, you know, cool modified Rolexes. Um, and here yeah, you are. We were in a, we were in a, a, a like a, a freaking cool house. It was trying to be sold, right? Yeah. It was. And, and I, I just remember, that, yeah, that was kind of, <laughs> and, and I think we did an interview in a loo. I took some pictures. It, this this was not just any bathroom. This was like a whole wing of the house. Yeah, but 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 it was in a bathroom. I, it I was a, was anybody who would want to be shot in this bathroom. Let's put that way. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. But God, I remember that. That's yes, first time we met, and we, and uh, oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the rally timer. I was just like, I had, I, I was like, what's the best way of measuring the time of a podcast? And I am sorry to everyone. We have gone over time, um, uh, but. As you know, Ariel and I can chat forever on on watches. We could, and we're going to have to do more of this, um, but this has been a good hour plus. So this has been a combination of your show and my show. We'll, I guess, put it up both places. Uh, This is Ariel Adams, and this has been the Superlative Podcast, and then I'll just give it over to you, George, to close out on your end. Uh, How do I I follow Ariel Adams? Um, Okay, this, um, you have been listening to um, GB Talks, um, and Ariel Adams is a rock star, and I love that he is in here, and honestly, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you, George. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blog2watch.com.